Support for the Eyes Free Sports podcast is brought to you by Clusive. As a blind or visually impaired athlete, you know how important training is. With Clusive, you can take training on assistive technology, occupational, and career skills all online to help you reach your employment goals. Learn more at www.clusive.io. That's www.clusive.io. Hello, hello, and thanks for checking out episode 92 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindberg. Here on episode 92, our guest is one of the stars of the U.S. women's goalball team. She's a two-time Paralympian in goalball, has captured uh, multiple medals in her career, and also has a really fascinating job outside of her time competing on the court. So let's go ahead and dive now onto the goalball court into episode 92 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. Alright, so my guest here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports is Ileana Mason. And uh, hey there, Ileana. Welcome to Eyes Free Sports. Hi. Definitely really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. Um, I did want to mention that you are a two-time Paralympian in goalball and uh, just very well-rounded in in your career outside of goalball. And uh, so we certainly have a lot to dive into here, if you don't mind. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty. So just to kick things off here, uh, so is it uh, Oregon that you're originally from? Yeah, originally from Portland, Oregon. Nice. And just talk to me about uh, your, your early years. I understand you do have two brothers, right? Yeah. So I'm the middle child in between two brothers. So I always joke that's where like so much of my like com- competitive nature and like uh, love for sports kind of came from being in the middle of them. I loved sports growing up, but I was born with my eye condition. So I have glaucoma, cataracts and small eyes. So kind of like the triple effect. And so what that leaves me with is I have some vision, but not really usable, especially for sports when balls are flying everywhere and I can't track them. I can't tell you how many times I was hit in the head with the ball growing up. So I tried sports, couldn't really play them the way I wanted to. And that left me feeling really frustrated and isolated and left out a lot of times. So um, yeah, early years were filled with like different attempts of sports and not being able to compete at the level I wanted. Sure, sure. Understandable. So you did compete in quite a few mainstream sports as a child then? Yeah. One I really remember is soccer. Um, I could, like, I have a tunnel with my vision, so I can't see out of like my peripheral vision. And then my QD is 2300. So what you can see at 300 feet away, I have to be 20. Um, for 2020 vision. And so I'd be able to see the ball right when it was in front of me and then get kicked away. And I'd like be so frustrated because then it would take me five more minutes just to track the ball down again, just to have it kicked away. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I know the feeling for sure. And then, so as far as your vision, has it changed at all or has it pretty much remained the same your whole life? You know, I think around the same, I do think it's decreased. Um, I didn't use a cane when I was growing up and I now use one. Um, I don't know if I was just delusional when I was younger and didn't think like I needed one Um, or I think it's slightly gotten worse, but it's nothing. I think it's slowly over time decreasing. So it's not like one moment, but I think just remembering being younger, I could maybe see things better than I do now. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can also relate. Just not wanting to, you know, use the cane, kind of self-identify, yes. you know, afraid of being made fun of, etc. So, All of the above. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
Um, so then, uh, brothers, any other family members that are visually impaired as well? No, I'm the lucky one. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, let's see. So as far as your education, so then were you pretty much mainstreamed in, in K through 12 school? I was so mainstream all throughout K through 12. Um, I was actually like the youngest in my grade. Funny story, because my birthday is September 1st and in Oregon, the cutoff to start school is September 2nd. And my mom thought, well, with her being visually impaired, why don't we just have her um, get an extra year of preschool in? And the state was like, well, legally, we can't provide um, vision services if she's five by September 2nd. So I got sent as the youngest one and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then uh, I understand you did go to college for both the bachelor's and, and master's, right? I did. I got my bachelor's degree at Portland State University and I had um, my Oh my gosh, I almost said master's, but I was going to say I got my degree in psychology and a minor in public health. And then I got my master's from Antioch University in clinical mental health counseling. Wow. Very interesting. And then uh, before we do get into adaptive sports and sports for the blind, uh, as far as your career as a counselor, just talk to me about, uh, you know, your your day to day job and also kind of the accessibility angle of how you handle everything. Yeah, well, one main reason I really wanted to go into counseling is I don't feel like there's enough counselors out there with lived experience with disability. So I really wanted to bridge that gap and focus on mental health, the intersection of mental health and disability advocacy. And with that, I'm very fortunate because where I work right now, I do get to see a lot of clients with disabilities, um, but I also see a lot of clients without. So I get a really wide array of experience um, because with disability, it's different versus like being born with it versus acquiring it later in life and acceptance and adapting and adjustment are all really big pieces of that. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. And I really like to mix my sport background with my counseling. Um, I'll often like, uh, work with clients on different techniques I've learned through sport, um, confidence building, um, using physical activity as a way to like um, manage our feelings and using body movement as a way to like feel balanced and calm. So I really like kind of combining all of my backgrounds with um, disability awareness, sport and mental health. I would say some aspects of being a mental health counselor that are hard with being blind is the nonverbals. Um, especially when sure. I'm working with kids, um, adults are main, more straightforward or forthcoming, or you can kind of read their voices better, but kids are hard. I try to use it to my advantage where I, I tell them, you know, I can't see you very well. So I need you to use your words. You can't just like point or nod or shake your head for some kids. I think it's a benefit because it forces them to have to use their words more where usually they're used to adults using their nonverbal cues. Um, for other kids, it is hard because they don't really use their words and I'm kind of feeling at a loss. So I would say those are some of the, the nonverbals is one of the most difficult parts, but there's a lot of ways to adapt it. Like I will have kids, if I want them to practice a certain thing, I'll, I'll add like a tack, uh, audio piece to it. So like slap your legs with your hands or hmm. yeah. So that way I know your hands are like in your lap. Um, or I will try to do games or things with them that are more audio or tactile rather than like the visual stuff. Interesting. Wow. So you definitely have to be kind of creative and innovative. It sounds like. Yes. Very creative. I actually, um, I have a few kids that really struggle with like 
impulse control and focus and listening. So I brought my old bop it in from forever ago. And I've been having them practice with a bop it because I'm like, this takes focus. It takes impulse control, takes you listening. So just finding creative things to get them to work on those skills. Right, right. That's awesome. And I'm curious, have you done both in person and virtual, uh, you know, sessions as a, as a counselor? Yes, most of my clients are in person. I have a few virtual. I will not do virtual with anyone younger than ten or twelve. It's just not worth it. Um, mm. Virtual is nice in certain ways because if I have like a worksheet or an intervention I'm trying to do, if I send it to them ahead of time, then I can follow it on my computer while they have it on theirs. So in that way, virtual can be nice, but then I feel like you're not as connected. So my preference is in person. Um, and I really like like the young adult age range. Um, I would say like my my next job I'd like to do when, when I do move is I want to work on a college campus and work with like 18 to like 25 year olds. Right, right. Very cool. And hey, definitely kudos to you on that work. And sounds like you're definitely serving, you know, populations that, that need that support. Thank you. Absolutely. And yeah, I really like what you said also about kind of how sports, you know, the benefits of sports and physical activity and how that can really play into mental health and how you incorporate that into your work, it sounds like. Okay, so then transitioning to adaptive sports and uh, goalball obviously is really not technically an adaptive sport, you know, more specifically a sport for the blind, but uh, just in general, how did you get in involved in adaptive sports? How were you kind of first introduced to the world of blind sports? Yeah. And well, I love that you asked this question because like I said earlier, I was born with my vision impairment and I didn't really learn about adaptive sports till I was 15. And so to me, I'm like, that's a huge gap. So I try really hard to work with younger kids and the young generation to do camps and clinics and spread awareness because I strongly feel like every child with a disability should have access to adaptive sports the same way our able-bodied children do with basketball or gymnastics or football. Like it should be the same, you know, we should have our young kids doing wheelchair basketball or goalball or sitting volleyball or any of those adaptive sports at the same ages. Um, so with that said, I was very fortunate that uh, two Paralympians at the time who were on the USA women's goalball team moved to Portland and we ended up crossing paths and um, they were holding practice every week at Portland State. And so they invited me to come and practice with them and just kind of get my feet wet and try try the sport out and see if it was something I enjoyed doing. Right, right. Very cool. So just kind of by coincidence, it sounds like happened. Yes, I was very fortunate. Absolutely. Yeah. And out of curiosity, who were those two Paralympians? Yeah, um, Asia Miller and Jen Armbruster. Um, Jen Armbruster moved there for um, a job she took at Portland State as the inclusive rec coordinator. So she was um, holding different inclusive sports at PSU. And so I was very fortunate to cross paths with them and start going to the practices and get to learn more about the game and getting trained by two of the best in the world at the time. Absolutely. Yeah, I did get a chance to interview Jen at one point and uh, obviously it's been around the game a long time, game of goalball. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. You got that connection. Yeah. When you, uh, you know, got out, out on the court and kind of got into playing goalball, trying it, were you pretty much hooked or? <laughs> you know, that's also kind of a funny story. So, um, you know, after the whole soccer thing didn't work out, um, I, I tried like cheerleading and gymnastics and I really loved kind of like doing like flips and cartwheels and handstands and all those things and so i remember my first practice we're on the court and i'm like trying to do handstands and they're like this is not how you do the game whatsoever 
And um, at first I was like, what is this sport? Like I'm getting pummeled with a three pound ball. Like who in their right mind would want to play this? Um, And I remember after my first practice, I was like, I don't think I like this sport. And my dad's like, you gave it one chance. Like you have to give it a full chance. Cause you know, they had me doing all these drills and I was just getting beat up when I was like, what, what is this sport? Um, But I kept practicing. And then I got to go to my first competition. Um, Jen helped take a team to youth nationals in Florida. And so I got to actually compete and it was, it was just, I was hooked after my first competition, like getting to be out there and compete and be a part of the goalball community, see other people going through what I was going through, having role models, um, building up my skills, realizing that I could be the best that I wanted to be at the sport without my vision being a barrier. Like my ability was going to be reflected of how hard I worked and how hard I trained and not because of something that was out of my control. And like when all that kind of clicked, I was just goalball obsessed because with, a you know, with being blind, it life is more difficult and you have to usually compensate or adapt or work through, or there's always something, right? Like you can still be independent, but it's going to look different. But when you put on those eye shades, no matter what your level of vision loss is, or even if you're fully sighted and you put those on, like it's equal. And so to me, that was so empowering. Like vision was just completely eliminated. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't trying to work around anything and I could just focus on being me. Right. Right. Very well said. Great, great perspective. I appreciate that. And so uh, before we get into your goalball career, just talk to us about what, what would you say it takes to be a successful goalball athlete? What kind of training do you need to do? What kind of mental focus do you need to have to really succeed at the game? Yeah. Well, I think in terms of just being a successful athlete in general, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of failure. It takes a lot of um, repetition. And um, you really just got to stick with it. Like it's it's really hard to to train on your worst days. And so it's it, it's just realizing all the work that goes into it. We have on-court practice, we have strength and conditioning, we have a team dietitian, um, sports psychology, an athletic trainer. Um, we do all different types of workouts, um, weightlifting, body weight, tire flips, um, med ball throws. So uh, circuit training, Tabata, like anything you can kind of think of we've, we've thrown in and we have different cycles of training that we go through. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't want to give like the most generic answer, but really just it, it takes a ton of hard work. Um, in terms of goalball specific, Um, We do have lower scoring games generally, like it's not like a basketball or, you know, something like that. Um, So it's, you don't really have room for error. Um, Some of our games, like one of our games that we won in Tokyo was like four to three. Another one was like six to four. Um, We went into triple overtime in one of our games. So like, they're really close. And so I kind of came up with this acronym that I I said to myself in Tokyo that I still use. And I say um, CIA and it stands for confident intentional and aggressive. And I, I told myself if I can keep those three things throughout the whole game, like that's what I need to be successful. You have to play with confidence. Like you can't play with fear. You have to be intentional. Like you can't just kind of like go through the motions. Like everything needs to be purposeful and you need to be aggressive. Like goalball is an aggressive sport. You're exploding out to the ball, you're popping up and then you're throwing it back across the court as hard as you can. Like every rep is your max percent. 
So if you can stay aggressive, if you can stay intentional and focused, and if you can stay confident, then you have kind of that recipe to be successful on the court. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely love that uh, acronym as well. Really sums it up. Yeah. So then in terms of uh, Team USA, obviously you've been a member of Team USA now for, for a number of years competing on the U.S. women's goalball team. And just talk to me about kind of what it took to get to that point and how you actually reached that level. Yeah. So um, first was getting introduced to the sport and then starting to play just, you know, at practice, doing youth tournaments. Um, One big thing for me was I made the youth world's team in the summer of 2013. So getting noticed on the youth level, which got me noticed by the head coach on the adult level. Um, Going to team training camps, that's your next step is getting invited to a camp. And then we kind of have like smaller domestic or not domestic, smaller. Well, I skipped a piece. Let me back up. We have um, domestic tournaments throughout the year in places like um, Atlanta or Vancouver, Washington or New Jersey. So you have to attend those tournaments. Like you have to show you're serious about the sport. And then that paired with training camps is kind of your first level. And then you get put into like the national team player pool where you are part of like the team that's you're trying to make the team, you're working with the nutritionist, you're in the drug testing pool, kind of that next step. And then it's making some of those smaller international tournaments. And so like my first international trip was to Finland. Um, I think I got about two minutes of playtime. I think I managed to let two goals in, in those two minutes. My legs were shaking. I remember feeling like I was jelly out there on the court Um, because it's a whole different game going from domestic play to international. You're out there wearing that jersey, playing a whole different country. And I just remember like just shaking. And I came back from that tournament more driven and like determined than ever because I was like, whoa, I want to get good at this sport. Like, I don't want to just make a team like I want to be on the team, like making moves. Um, And so just continuing to train, show that you're committed. I actually picked my college for undergrad based off goalball because PSU, Portland State had a lot of aspects I wanted, but a big piece of it is we had practice every week and I knew I wouldn't get that at probably a different college. Um, And then I made the Rio 2016 team and that was huge. Um, And that was my first experience, like my first Paralympics. And that was incredible. Um, but I wanted more, I wanted to be better. And so I graduated college in 2017 and I was really fortunate with the timing because that's when we kind of started our, uh, resident training program in Fort Wayne, Indiana at Turnstone center for children and adults with disabilities. And so I decided to move to Indiana from Oregon at that point. Cause I was like, you know, I, I want to get better and I'm not going to get better if I'm not training. And so I made that big sacrifice and I came out here and really just trained like like a crazy person um, trying to prepare for the Tokyo Games. And yep. then we had COVID, which threw a wrench into everybody's life. <laughs> and so the games were postponed a year. So it gave us an extra year of training, which had some positives, but also a lot of negatives. Um, but yeah, so that kind of sums up my journey. And then I am still out here training. Our goal is to get the team qualified for Paris. Um, we have two more tournaments this year to do that. And then hopefully go to Paris next year. It's kind of my my next like 12-month plan. Sure, sure. And then a little more on Tokyo. Um, so obviously you referenced COVID and just kind of how that delayed the games by a year. And thinking back just a few years, you know, rewinding to that delay when you when you got the news of the delay, 
how did you take that? How did you process that? And I'm curious as a team, how did the, the ladies handle that, that delay and that change? It was really hard in a lot of ways. I'm trying to think about how to put this into words. It, it was hard because we think about like, if you have like one massive goal you're working towards, like I tell people, like think about like high school or college, you know, you have four years and then like theoretically, I know everyone has different paths, but theoretically it's like four years and you like hit that huge milestone. And for us, like we plan each quad very specifically and we want to be peaking at certain points. So we were in March, um, less than six months away from the Tokyo Paralympics when we got the news. And so to get extended out a whole nother year, we had teammates who were wanting to leave Indiana after the games to move to different places, maybe get married, start families, like plan stuff. Like um, for me personally, I put off my internships so I could do them after Tokyo because I didn't want to be training and doing a full-time internship. And then it got postponed. So guess who was training and doing a full-time internship? So um, it was it was really hard. But then in a way, I also felt a little bit guilty because I'm like, other people are having way worse things happen right now. And so um, I kind of had to use this counseling technique that I learned where you kind of hold space for both emotions. So often we say like, well, someone else has it worse or but it could be worse or or like buts and ors are kind of really minimizing. They're minimizers. Um, but if you use the word and, it allows you to hold space for both. So I'm really disappointed and frustrated. And I recognize that I have a lot of things to be thankful for and other people have hard things they're dealing with. So learning to hold space for both because it was really hard, but I also felt very fortunate um, in a lot of ways. And then to kind of answer your question about the team, um, we kind of just took a few months of just doing at-home training, everyone kind of just processing, kind of doing their in-bubble quarantining. And then I would say really like November, October, November of 2020 is when we kind of came back together and like, okay, we're, we're, we're less than a year out again. We're going to like pick this back up and we're going to like train and get, like get right where we were to, to be peaking for the games. Right. I see. And was there any kind of concern about, you know, they announced obviously it was going to be in 2021, which it ended up being, was there any concern about that date even getting pushed further back or? Not as much with that because we felt like once it was announced again and once things were kind of moving forward, it did feel like it was solidly happening. I think our concern was we um, had to COVID test um, 72 hours and then 24 hours before we left. We had to test when we landed in the airport and we had to test every single day. And so there was this constant fear of like, well, what if someone has a positive test? What if this person can't play? What if this person gives it to the rest of the team? What if like three of us can't play? What if we have a positive test before we get on the plane and now you can't go? So that was kind of the bigger fear of, um, is there going to be a risk of getting a positive test? We were all like back to very like quarantine, quarantine, like two weeks before the games, like no one was going out or going anywhere just to really ensure minimizing risk as much as possible. Right, right. Gotcha. Definitely stressful, I'm sure, like you said, just kind of the uncertainty of it all and yeah. the what ifs and everything going through your mind. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I know the ladies, the the team, you know, the, the U.S. women's goalball team, you did get uh, silver. Yes. The silver medal and just talk to me about kind of the, the tournament in general and, and, you know, obviously gold is what everyone wants. Yeah. Uh, is there any frustration not getting the gold? Just your, your whole mindset and experience there yeah um well yeah tokyo was just a whirlwind to say the least it was 
it was incredible. There was a lot. So just for anyone you know who doesn't really know the, the setup for goalball at the Paralympics, there was 10 teams, well, 10 women's teams and 10 men's teams. And we're set into two brackets of five. You do a round robin. And then the top four of each bracket plays the other four. And then you go down to, um, that's your quarterfinal. Then you have semis and finals. And so we came out um, in our bracket and we ended up playing Russia. We came out second in our bracket and we ended up playing um, RPC. Um, So that was, you know, a little bit of a stressful quarterfinal because they are one of the top tier teams. And we really didn't think we were going to be seeing them in a quarterfinal. They ended up not playing their best in their bracket. So we weren't really thrilled to be seeing them, um, but we played with confidence and went into it. And um, we ended up winning that game. And that game was actually on my 26th birthday. So I just remember, um, and our game wasn't until like 7 p.m. So everyone kept trying to be like, happy birthday, like do all these fun things. And I'm like, everyone, leave me alone. It's not my birthday. It's not any day. Like, I just I can't. And then after the game, then I was like, okay, I can have a birthday now. Like, we won. Right. I can breathe. Because that game is so crucial. If you lose your quarterfinal, you're out. So like, that's kind of the the pivotal point you're either if you win that game you know you're playing for a medal you just don't know which one if you lose you're out so that was really stressful um and then we had our semifinal and you know if you if we thought our quarterfinal was stressful well let us give you a more stressful semifinal um we were down two to one with like 13 seconds left and my coach called the shot for my teammate amanda and i was i just remember telling her i'm just like give this shot everything you got like we have literally nothing to lose and um she did she nailed it and right in the corner and i was like in disbelief like when when i heard because in goalball when you hear a double whistle it means the goal when i heard that double whistle i just shocked like utterly like oh my god we are tied with like five seconds left and then they threw it we blocked it and we went into overtime and overtime is stressful of itself but in a paralympic semi-final match it is like unreal like i probably think mm. i blacked out for most of it just remembering that game i'm like i really don't remember lots of it i know we won but when i watch the highlight reel i still get stressed out even though i know the outcome um and so we went into overtime and so in goal ball you have three minute overtime and then you have a half time and then three more minutes well both teams played superb defense and we were both tied at the end of that And so then you go into what we call a shootout and it's one-on-one and you go down the entire line of players. So the six players on a team, you go against every single player. And so we went down our line and I was number five on our shootout order. So when I went in, we were tied again. Um, We'd had players scored. We'd had players score, get block it. We've had player get scored on. So we were tied when I went in and I made my shot and then um, I went to block my shot, but it got thrown out. So that was, you know, nice. I, I, I ended up blocking away plus one. So we were up one and we had our last player go in and she hadn't played that whole game. And so, you know, I'm sure I can't even just imagine what she was going through and all she had to do was make the block. And so she goes in and I just remember we're all standing on the bench. Every single person were like holding hands, like sweating, like at this point, it's just like, we're in disbelief. And I just remember that the Brazil team threw the ball and I heard her stop it. And then it was like silent. And then the ref blew the whistle and we just charged the court. Like 
I can't Mm. describe the exhilaration that we had in that moment. It was the most incredible, like comeback overtime team win. Like every single person played their role. It was, it was just incredible. Wow. Amazing. And just like you said, the the amount of time that went on with that game and how long it went and (laughs) yes. So then kind of to answer the last part of your question, it's really hard going from the, like the highest high to kind of feeling like the lowest low within 24 hours. So like we were riding a high, we, we came out of our, our, our pool doing well. We won our quarterfinal. We won our semifinal. Like we were just like on top of the world. And then we played our final and we ended up losing that game. We didn't have our strongest game. And um, it was hard going from feeling like invincible to just so defeated within 24 hours. Um, it took me a long time to kind of reconcile all of those feelings. And, you know, sometimes people say like, oh, you lose a silver. Well, I I, I, after that experience will say, no, we won our silver in our semifinal. We may have lost the gold game, but we won the silver in the semi. And so kind of like changing that mindset and reframing it, like, no, you have to win that semi to get that silver. Like you may end the tournament on a loss, but you had to like fight to get into that gold medal game. Um, so yeah, it's really hard to kind of have balance those feelings. Like I'm so proud of us for this silver. And I'm also so devastated. We fell short of the gold. Um, that was hard. And my boyfriend plays on the men's team and they came in fourth, which I think is hard in a whole other set of ways. You're so close to a medal and it fell through your fingers. And so I just remember like after our finals, we're both kind of sitting there a little bit miserable and I'm upset and he's upset. And he's just like, you at least are walking away with a medal. So I think it was hard for him to kind of have that like empathy of like, you have a medal. Why are you upset? And so that was a little bit difficult to navigate too. <laughs> right, right. That is really interesting because when you think of you know other sports that don't involve medals and whatnot, it's a win or loss. You know, whereas the Olympics, the Paralympics, there are you know obviously gold, silver, bronze, which are nice to get for sure. But at the same time, it's you know tough if you don't actually get the gold. But then again, like you said, all the hard work that goes into getting that medal in the first place is something you can't forget either yeah so any other moments any other highlights i know you referenced that one amazing you know comeback that one match uh, but any other highlights or moments in your career that you like to mention yeah another highlight was actually four years ago in 2019 so we hosted the qualifier in uh, fort wayne indiana turnstone actually hosted it and that was so cool to be host country and we needed to qualify um at this point we weren't qualified for tokyo and so we had to um, come up first or second at that tournament to secure our slot for Tokyo. So we were playing Israel for our um, semifinal. And that was like one of the first bigger games I, you know, I really kind of started coming into my spot as a more starting role on the team in 2019. And so this was one of my bigger, bigger tournaments to play in. And so this was one of like, this game was like, a big deal for me. Not only was like it going to decide if we were going to secure our spot for Tokyo, but it was my first chance, like really starting in a semifinal at a big tournament. And so I just remember winning that game and we were the host country. So it was like at our, our facility and having my parents were in town. They came out from Oregon for it. My boyfriend was there watching. His parents were in town. Um, so much of our friends in Indiana and like supporters were there. And just to be there with my whole team, like to have 
so many people I like care about and love in one spot, like watching us qualify for Tokyo. And that was like my first kind of time really being a part of like part of the team to qualify. I don't want to say I wasn't part of the team that qualified for Rio, but I had a different role. Like everyone on the team is equally important, but my role in 2020, the 2016 quad was kind of like, I was still getting my feet under me. I was learning my role on the team where this one, I was, um, you, you know, in a different aspect of my career. And so just having that moment was incredible. And I just remember the whistle was blown. They said, game. we realized we were going to Tokyo and I just started crying. Like I was so happy. I literally just stood there and started crying. And I was like, we're going to Tokyo. Like I was like lost for words. So that was really another big moment that I'll never forget with my team. Nice. That's amazing. And like you said, just having family there and your boyfriend and his family and the supporters observing, yeah. you know, you can't beat that. Really That's can. awesome. It was incredible. Um, so I know you have obviously competed in goalball around the world, and I'm curious, any favorite places that you've gotten to to visit uh, that have stood out to you? Yeah, well, it's hard. Sometimes we go, we we get in, we get out. Um, so some people are like, you're so like, you've got to travel everywhere. And I, I am very fortunate and I do love that I travel. But um, for example, one time we went to Spain, we flew in Wednesday, got there Thursday, competed Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and left Monday. So we saw like the gym, the hotel and the airport. Um, True. But sometimes like we've gone to Sweden, I've been there like seven times. And so I feel like really familiar with Sweden. And sometimes we extend our trip. And for that one in particular, we actually fly into Denmark. And so that's really cool. Like we got to travel all around Denmark. One time we saw a ton of cool castles, um, a lot of landmarks. We went to an amusement park. Uh, so Denmark is really cool just to to feel like, wow, we've been here. We know this area. It's 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 fun. Um, Brazil, we after the competition ended, we had like a whole extra day before closing ceremonies. So we went to do um, the Sugarloaf. A mountain. We rode the cable cars up the mountain and we went to uh, Copacabana and that was like right after our team won a bronze medal. So that was really a special moment. And then in Peru, um, it was another special moment. So my birthday sometimes always falls during those tournaments when they're like end of August, early September. So I actually had a birthday when we were in Peru and so I'm sure my team is sick of celebrating my birthdays. <laughs> They're like, we're done with you. Um, but right. it was uh, really fun to be in Peru for my birthday. We went down to Miraflores and had a really nice meal. And it was right after we'd won a silver medal at those tournament at that event. So um, it's just been really cool to to see so many different parts of the world. I would say a disappointment I have is because we were in Tokyo during COVID. Still, we were joking. We were like in a um, in like a luxury minimum security prison because we couldn't go anywhere except the village and the venue. And they would like make sure they'd count us getting on and off the bus. And the dining hall had like plexiglass between every seat to like minimize germs. And so uh, we couldn't really go anywhere. So every day we would drive to our venue, we'd see Tokyo Disney and we'd always be like, hi, Disney, bye Disney. So like that was kind of disappointing that we couldn't really see much more of Tokyo just because of the circumstances. Right. So true. Yep. So I know that you are currently training at Turnstone, the Turnstone Center, like you said, uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yes. And I'm, I'm really curious about that facility. Just what uh, I know they, they offer 
programs for both kids and adults with all disabilities, right? Yes. Turnstone is amazing. And, you know, kind of circling back, I actually, that's why I'm working as a mental health counselor. So it worked out great that I was able to do my final internship there last year. And then they actually offered me the position to stay on. And so that's where it's great, where I get to work with the population I want, but also I just treat anybody who wants to come to Turnstone for counseling. Um, but Turnstone has it all. We um we have a fitness center and an aquatic pool where they do aquatic therapy. Um, they have adult day care, adult day services, memory care, child care, and then we have OT, PT, speech therapy, and counseling with the social workers kind of coordinating that piece. And then they have like kind of the administrative side, the um, fundraising side, um, partnerships. They have a few big fundraisers. And then because they're our training site, they're now considered a Olympic and Paralympic training site for goal, because of goalball. Um, so there's just a lot of different aspects Turnstone meets. Oh, and they have like um, a rec, sports and rec side where they have like a wheelchair basketball team and um, they'll host power soccer. And we ju- they just hosted the Endeavor Games two weekends ago. So Turnstone really does it all. Yeah, that's amazing. It's so cool. You get to work at that facility and... I'm sure get to interact with such a variety of, of individuals. Yeah, it's really such a privilege. Absolutely. Yeah. And then so as far as kind of the goalball training side of things there, um, just talk to me about how that works. You know, how often are the the individuals, you know, the, the competitors training? Uh, what's involved in that? Yeah. So um, we have a whole gym at Turnstone that we call it the goalball gym. There's a court down 24-7 with nets and everything, which is so nice. Because I think something people don't always realize with our sport is it's not like you can just go to the gym like basketball and pick up a ball or like football, just go outside and throw it. Like our sport, the court is string with tape over it. So it has to be put down. And then the goals are a huge pain to set up. So it's not like, oh, let me just go to the gym, set up a court real quick and play. Like it is, it's it's a undertaking to set up. So we're really thankful that we have 24-7 access to the gym. And then in our... Uh, goalball area we also have a whole weight room with like four or five complete squat racks with all the weights you can imagine um and then we have like all the extra stuff i was talking about like sleds and tires and battle ropes and all that so um and then the way it's set up is they have training cycles and so across the street from turnstone um usaba the united states association of blind athletes they are our ngb which is our national governing body um, lots of acronyms out there, but essentially, so they're kind of our, our bridge between the sport and the, um, USOPC, which is United States Olympic and Paralympic training site. So basically USABA bridges goalball, USA goalball with team USA. And so with that, they helped put up two houses across the street from Turnstone. They have a men's house and a women's house. So athletes can come in for, a month, three months, 10 weeks, whatever the cycle is. And they can live out across from the training center um, and kind of like community living and then train, uh, live there for free train and then go back home and then come back out. Um, Some people have made Fort Wayne their home. uh, And so they have houses here. I personally have uh, an apartment with my boyfriend, 10 minutes walking from the training center. Um, so just gives us more like freedom and independence. And, you know, we decided to, to stay here longer term, but if you're going to come out just for like a training cycle, then those houses are really great 
to utilize. Sure. Wow. That's really fascinating. It sounds like quite a, a facility and like you said, 24-7 access to that gym. That's amazing. It's huge. Oh yeah. Very unique. And then you asked about practice. We're either at the gym, like either weightlifting or um, on the court, like five or six days a week. Wow. Wow. So it li literally is almost a daily thing, daily commitment. It is. I, I joke that I have like two, two almost full-time jobs because we train every day and then I'm working. So I work out or practice in the morning and then I work until about seven. So it's like I work out and then I work. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from goalball, have you gotten to try any other adaptive sports? And are there others that uh, maybe you have not tried but would like to? Um, I've tried other sports. I don't necessarily know if they're considered adaptive, like skiing. I love skiing. Um, so I have like a guide down the mountain. I know skiing is in the Paralympics um, for all different types of disabilities. I um, have tried blind soccer. I don't think I fully understand all the rules, but I think it'd be fun to, to learn more about. Um, I went to a sports camp when I was younger where I got to experiment with a bunch of sports. So I've tried judo. Um, I've done rock climbing before. I love rock climbing. Uh, I'm trying to think of other, some of the other adaptive sports aren't really blind friendly, like sitting volleyball or wheelchair basketball. Those wouldn't really make the most sense for me to try, but um, I've done track and field when I was younger. Uh, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, and I'm not really a swimmer. So, and I've done tandem biking. So that's kind of like, I've, I've dabbled in a lot of sports being in Oregon. I grew up like hiking, boating, um, going, you know, being outside. So the Pacific Northwest has a lot of op opportunity for outdoor stuff. Right. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, in terms of USABA, the United States Association of Blind Athletes. Uh, so I understand you're, is it a sport ambassador? So I have a couple roles. I am a sport ambassador. So I help promote the sport, do education and awareness, run clinics. I was actually just in LA this weekend with another teammate, actually with Asia Miller, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, we were helping coach a goalball clinic out for Angel City Sports in uh, Los Angeles at USC. So that was really cool. I've also helped out a lot with NWABA, which is Northwest Association of Blind Athletes. They're like right in my backyard and they helped me in my early days of goalball because right when I was starting with the sport was when they were starting to grow as an agency. So I helped them run camps and clinics and give back to all their athletes. Um, so I am a sport ambassador on one level, just what it sounds like, you know, repping the sport. Um, but I also am on the AAC, which is um, Athlete Advisory Committee Rep. So every sport has an athlete who sits on the team USA AAC. So every sport can be represented um, at like monthly meetings and we have conferences. And so because of that, I actually sit on our USABA board of directors in the AAC athlete board member role. Lots of acronyms. Right, right. But yeah, that is really cool. You get to, you know, not only compete as a goalball athlete, but have those other opportunities. And like you said, attending, you know, different camps and kind of giving back, it sounds like as well. Yes, I. it's it's so important to me. People took that time and um, took time to teach me and work with me and help me get where I am today. And so I want to give back. And even if I can just like inspire one kid or you know, one child or even one adult, like to follow, you know, their passion or their dreams. And maybe goalball isn't what they love. You know, maybe they don't want to take it to the Paralympics, but maybe they just love it recreationally or want to help start a domestic team or 
for me, goalball changed my life in so many ways, but it really came into my life when I was really struggling with identity and confidence. And it helped me kind of figure out who I am and learn to be confident with who I am. And instead of being like embarrassed or trying to hide my blindness, like embrace it and not feel ashamed of it. So, you know, it changed my life. So if I can help change someone else's life through sports and building their confidence and identity, I, I would, I want to take every chance I can. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I definitely appreciate your honesty and transparency there. It's definitely, you know, it's not easy growing up with a disability when you're the only one and you're maybe your family or friend group or community. It, it can feel isolating at times. And you, you kind of learn like society tells you like you don't want to be different. So you like you, you try to do your best to fit in, but fitting in means like not accepting like one whole part of yourself. So trying to like have those polarizing feelings and really figure out like what, who you are and like being confident with that and not letting, you know, social norms tell you anything otherwise. Right. Right. Exactly. All righty. So before we wrap up here, um, any social media, anything you want to mention uh, where people can follow you out there online? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, so just for me, I have like um, Facebook and Instagram. It's just my name, Ileana, E-L-I-A-N-A Mason. Um, which it spells how it sounds. Um, and then we have, if you want to follow our teams, we have uh, USA Women's Goalball and USA Men's Goalball on Facebook. You can also follow USABA. They post a lot of great content and opportunities. If goalball is not your thing, they also have blind soccer or they just, you know, great way to like network. Um, and I'm just going to throw it out there. If you're listening to this and you know anyone or if you yourself have any uh, speaking opportunities or events, I am into public speaking and I've done a few keynote speeches. So please feel free to reach out for me for anything of those sorts. Or if you're hearing this and you're like, I want to get more involved with goalball, send me a message. I would love to help you. Awesome. So your DMs are open. It sounds like. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. And I'll definitely include all that info, the links in the show notes uh, for everyone to have as well. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Alrighty, again, we've been chatting with Ileana Mason here on Eyes Free Sports and really appreciate the time. Thanks so much just for all your your interesting perspectives and uh, angles on everything. I really like your insight, just kind of how you present yourself and uh, certainly the work that you do professionally as well. Kudos to you on that and congrats on all your goalball success and continued success on the court. Thank you. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports. Sports.